Welcome to season three of the Myelin and Melanin podcast. I'm Dawn. And I'm Dana. We're just two black women sharing our musings on life, MS, and everything in between. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube. If you're a fan of the podcast, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron through our Patreon. Patrons can gain exclusive access to bonus content, giveaways, chances to join us on the Myelin and Melanin party line, and more. We'd like to thank our music producer, Shah Sevier, for providing our podcast music over the years. You can find him on Instagram at shah.sevier, and you can also find him on YouTube. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 49. We are so super excited to be back for season three. Yes, we have a lot of interesting episodes that are coming up this season with Mylan and Melanin. We can't wait until you hear what we have in store. Actually, episode 50 will be here before you know it. We will be bringing you the first of many Myelin and Melanin Party Lines. <laughs> okay. You remember those commercials in the 80s where you'd call a usually a 1-900 number, be on the line with God knows who for 99 cents a minute, which would probably end up being a really creepy conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Interested in a new way to meet people? Just pick up the phone and call one 809 There's a party waiting for you. It's the party line. <laughs> okay, so the Myelin and Melanin party line. I promise that our party line will not be as creepy as this commercial sounds, but we are actually going to be joined by a few of our faves in the MS community for what will Prove to be, I'm sure, some very fun and interesting conversation. Definitely. I think so. <laughs> but <laughs> before that happens today, we really have an interesting guest. Um, we have on our episode with us, Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams. She is simply amazing. I think we can yes. both uh, agree to that. Yeah, definitely. Dr. Williams is a board certified neurologist and the owner of the Joy Life Wellness Group. It is located in Noonan, Georgia, which is probably about 40, I would say 40 minutes from Atlanta. Uh, she is really incredible. She's an author, she's a mom, and really extremely dedicated to her work within the MS community. So with that being said, thank you for joining us, Dr. Williams. It is really, really, it has been our experience over the past few years that we haven't come across many specialists, uh, pretty particularly African American specialists, uh, neuro that that speak on multiple sclerosis. So thank you so much for yes. for being on with us. Absolutely, yeah. I'm very excited to participate. So I'm glad we were able to make the time to um, to get together yes. and talk about these important issues. Yes, thank you. Uh, so. Um, Dr. Williams, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how the disease course manifests itself differently in Black people versus the rest of the population. Absolutely. It's a great question and one that I get asked very often. 
And so it's interesting because traditionally we've always thought of MS as a disease that primarily affects people of Northern European descent or white people. Um, And if you look at the incidence and prevalence of MS across the world, that still is the most common population that's affected. But here in the U.S., over the past 10 years or so, um, many scientists have have come to recognize that MS actually occurs more frequently in African Americans. And the risk of MS is highest in African Americans. And there were several papers that were published in 2012 and 2013 that suggested that. And even when I tell people that today, it's like, oh my gosh, I did not know that. Um, You know, and so when we think about the fact that MS um, risk can be highest in this group, and we begin to look at the um, information we have about how MS presents, there's this narrative that MS may be more aggressive in some African Americans. And the Mm -hmm. reason I say some is because certainly for those of us who treat MS on a regular basis and see many, many people living with MS. Many of our African-American patients may do well on some of our regular, you know, first-line therapies. But Mm -hmm. the literature suggests that um, African-Americans may have more motor problems at the start, like more difficulty walking, and that Mm -hmm. may take them to the doctor and they may present a little bit earlier to the physician or to a physician with symptoms of MS because if you have difficulty walking, hopefully you'll go to the doctor versus if you have maybe a little numbness in an arm or a leg and it goes away, you may not think anything of it. You might just kind of blow it off and keep moving. So we may present with more motor symptoms, difficulty walking at the start. Um, We also may have more optic neuritis, okay, difficulty with vision. Mm -hmm. And we may have poor recovery from visual loss with symptoms like optic neuritis. Other Mm -hmm. parts of the literature or other studies have suggested that African-Americans have more walking problems earlier on. So there's a measure that we use, um, a research scale called the EDSS. And when someone reaches Mm -hmm. a level of six, it means that they have difficulty walking and they need a cane or some type of assistance to walk. And -hmm. studies suggest that African-Americans or black people may reach that milestone six to 10 years earlier than their white counterparts. Um, So earlier walking disability. Also, if we look at measures on MRIs, um, studies suggest we may have more lesions in our brain, we may have more atrophy or shrinkage in our brain, and we may have more areas affected that affect our cognition and our thinking. So there's this, again, thought, or at least from the research we have, that there may be significantly more aggressive disease in the African-American population, which is very concerning. Wow. Do you think that the fact that African-Americans don't necessarily jump at going to the doctor when they have a presenting symptom initially, do you think that that plays a role like with having more lesions or more difficulties at the Mm -hmm. onset? Right. And so, yes and no. Um, So I think that that certainly does play a part in the course of disease overall. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do tend to have more spinal cord involvement, which can cause more disability. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we may see at onset, even if someone presents with that very first symptom. You know, so um, there certainly could be a delay in people going to the doctor, coming to medical attention. There could be a delay in diagnosis. But even if you look at that initial set of symptoms, when everybody kind of presents for their first symptom, Mm -hmm. we tend to have more uh, significant motor problems and more spinal cord involvement. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. It is. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. And scary. 
It, it, yeah. it can be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that one of the bigger issues when we look at kind of how people with MS do over time, one of the big pieces that's missing is that most of the data or information we have is from, you know, groups who have, you know, kind of looked at their population of patients and they either kind of look backwards to see how people did over time, or they may have a study where they look at people moving forward. But the study settings are not as controlled as, for instance, some of mm. our clinical trials, right? So when we think about right. a clinical trial, we think about a very controlled environment where basically everybody's kind of on a level playing field. Everybody kind of presents or has the same characteristics. Everybody has access to the same care. Everybody's able to go see the doctor um, and everybody has close monitoring. And so in that type of setting, it would probably be a little easier to see kind of how people do based solely on the MS because everybody's got access. One of the problems with um, our clinical trials is that we don't have a lot of black people in our trials. And mm-hmm. as a result, the data that we have doesn't really um, account for things like access to care, right? So if we look at someone who's had MS for 10 years and they're doing very poorly and they're using a walker, did they lose their insurance for two or three years? Did they not have access to the doctor for two or three years? So we can't really account for that when we look backward versus if we had a very controlled setting looking forward, we would be able to kind of eliminate some of those disparities to a degree and see how people do solely based on their MS. Absolutely. Uh, and that kind of leads into what, what we were thinking of asking you or wanting to ask you, you know, talking yeah. about the significance of black people participating in these clinical trials. Right. I, I, it's, it seems like it's pretty crucial that, that we get involved. Absolutely. So it is absolutely essential that we get involved. And the way that I look at it is kind of having our voice being heard, being a part of the conversation. So traditionally, Mm -hmm. you know, there's definitely been uh, hesitation to participate in clinical research and with good reason, Mm -hmm. right? So there have been many, many misjustices um, in the uh, medical setting, in the healthcare setting. There's definitely bias. Um, There's definitely Mm -hmm. um, discrimination um, that has uh, previously and sometimes currently been a part of the Mm -hmm. system, you know, which may lead to misdiagnosis, et cetera. Um, And there also have been experiments. If you think about the Tuskegee experiment, if you think about Mm -hmm. Henrietta Lacks, uh, that experience, um, there are definitely valid reasons for people to be hesitant to participate in the research process. However, you know, that process has changed significantly over time, you know, so there are ethics committees, there are um, institutional review boards that have to approve every component of a clinical study before people can participate. You know, so there are lots of regulations, rules, laws in place to try to help prevent people being um, abused within the research system. Mm-hmm. So there are very strict regulations um, for clinical trials to move forward. And so, you know, if we look at uh, participation in clinical trials, again, it significantly contributes to how we understand the disease process, how we understand MS works, and helps answer some of those questions that are missing about um, social determinants of health and how much they play a factor and how right. black people do over time. And I think the interesting thing is that the lack of research participation um, is not uh, uh, only with MS. So when I go to conferences, yeah. it's problematic for diseases like hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, cardiovascular things, uh, cardiovascular disease, diseases that mm-hmm. significantly impact African 
they have trouble getting people in those trials too. And so Mm -hmm. it's a huge issue that we need to address and we definitely need to um, educate the public and um, uh, increase our awareness and our participation in clinical research. Absolutely. And if I can just add, I I strongly feel that it's a trust factor mm-hmm, when it yes. comes to medical care and treatment and getting yeah. your medical team in or in, in alignment. And that's just with anybody, any right. race or any ethnicity, but right. particularly for African Americans, uh, like you said, you know, speaking from the historical context, mm-hmm. there, you know, the, of course we we know all know about the Tuskegee mm-hmm. study, and if people don't, mm-hmm. I suggest you go look it up and read about it. But mm-hmm. uh, it it's hard to put your life on the line because right. I, I kind of feel like that's yes. what we are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the neurologist says, okay, you have MS and it's like, all right, now what? And so right. you're expected to trust this person with right. every part of your life. Right. 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 Absolutely. Right. And, and, it, right. and it definitely is a huge ask. Right. And I don't in any way um, downplay or, um, you know, um, try to make that factor insignificant. Right. Um, I think the important part, um, and when we talk about research, again, clinical trials are just one aspect of research, right? And so mm-hmm. I recognize, and many of us in the scientific community recognize that maybe that's not the type of participation for everybody, but there are many other ways to participate in the process and mm-hmm. contribute to knowledge aside from just clinical trials. Now, kind of backing back to the clinical trial piece, trust is a huge factor. And there are many of us in the MS community who are working on ways to improve communication on the healthcare provider side as well, because we recognize that we definitely want patients to be educated, but we also want those in the scientific community to be educated about um, how to approach people, um, how to um, counsel them about the risks and the benefits, and also how to identify uh, with some of the barriers that may have been established and not just downplay them or um, discard them because they are important and the concerns are important. And so one of the big things is transparency. So, you know, there's a um, actually educational series that uh, I've been participating in that we call myth busting. And so we do these programs about research and we talk about some of the barriers to research and including, you know, um, that trusting relationship with your provider and how you can ask questions and how you can ask questions about finances and all of those things so that you're aware of what's mm-hmm. going on. And we as providers have to not take that um, as an affront or as a lack of trust and be transparent. Right. And I think that being transparent with the process is one way to get people involved. Absolutely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Dana and I, for the past few, I guess, couple of weeks, we've been discussing resilience yeah. and how that seems to show up differently for Black people in mm-hmm. terms of MS. Yeah. Uh, Black William, Black Williams, Black women specifically. <laughs> um, Absolutely. You know, these myths of Black women being super women. Right. Um, and resilience is almost expected. Mm of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it, you know, just kind of operate, we move through the world differently because of so many social and structural factors. Um, So yeah. So all of that being said, Dr. Williams, Mm -hmm. how do you think that that influences the way that you discuss the idea of resilience with your black patients? Absolutely. And so I can mm-hmm. discuss it from personal experience, right? So I right. you know, have to take my superwoman cape off 
and go hang it right. up or throw it in the trash or whatever you want to do with it. Um, right. But I certainly recognize that there are many factors and many pressures on us um, as black women. And we just often, we just make it work. We just keep it moving and we right. make it work. Yeah. Yes. Um, but, yes. the pro- but some of the problem with that is that it's, it's great in some aspects, but the problem is that if we keep moving, keep making it work, keep moving and keep making it work, then all of those little pressures and all those little difficulties sometimes pile up on us and become an avalanche, right? And then it totally yes. knocks us down. And so we have to find that balance. And so I have this conversation with many of my patients over and over and over again, okay? Everybody needs help. And we have to find those mm-hmm. outlets, those coping mechanisms, um, those things that we enjoy that can help us balance. Because what we often do is we just keep going and we stuff and we stuff and we stuff until it overwhelms yes. us and we can't deal right. with it. And so right. instead of dealing with those uh uh, areas, you know, instead of having these periods of high functioning, high functioning, high functioning, no functioning, right. what we'd like to be doing is to be level, <laughs> right? And in order yes, for right. us to be level, we've got to take those breaks. We've got to take that time. We've got to process what's going on, whether it's an MS diagnosis, whether it's a change in disease, whether it's progression of disease, we have to take that time to process because if we don't deal with it, it will eventually deal with us. Yes, absolutely. And I I can tell you when I was first diagnosed in 2000, Mm -hmm. I remember just going, 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 and I had to get the spinal tap. I had to get an evoked potential test. And I, I went to work, like I went and Mm -hmm. got my evoked potential. And then I would just went right back to work. And I'm thinking, how am I doing all these things in one day? I'm I'm insane. Right. Right. But I felt you know, that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just felt that that was my expectation to just mm-hmm. keep going. So right. yes. Uh-huh. Right. And I think you know the thing about it is that what I try to the way that I try to frame it, and I'm sorry for interrupting you. The way that I try to frame it is, imagine your girlfriend calling you on the phone and telling you all the things that are going on with her, except it's your situation. So imagine your girlfriend saying, girl, I just got diagnosed with MS. I'm still working every day. They scheduled all these tests. I went and got that spinal tab. I went and got this test and then I went back to work. Mm-hmm. And you would look at her and say, oh my God, are you crazy? You need to sit right. down somewhere. <laughs> Right. right. <laughs> and so that's the advice we would give her. But when it's us, we say, no, I'm a superwoman. These things don't affect mm-hmm. me. And it makes no sense. You know, so we have so much grace for everyone else, but not yes. for ourselves. And that has right. got to change. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that is so true. Before we, we kind of end the, the whole conversation, I did sure. want to ask you, mm-hmm. how did you become involved um, with MS, what what sparked your interest in this crazy disease? <laughs> yes, right. so it's, it's very fascinating, actually. So I was very fortunate during my um, residency career when I was doing my training to mm-hmm. do a rotation with Dr. Mary Hughes, who is an African-American woman who is also an MS specialist and neurologist. And so she happened to be working at my institution um, when I was living in Augusta. And I did a rotation with her in my second year. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I'm the type wow. of person where things either kind of feel like home or they don't. And I, I follow yes. that path of peace and I just felt peace. And I was like, 
this is what I should be doing. And shortly after that, one of my cousins um, got diagnosed with MS who lives in Chicago. And so that just kind of solidified that I was moving in the right direction. Um, But yeah, so it was just, you know, I did not have a personal connection prior to choosing it as a field. Uh Um, I just knew when I was there from the time that we spent with patients, the care that we provided for them, the relationship that we had with them and kind of walking this journey with them, with MS, I knew that that's what I needed to be doing with my life. That's wow. incredible. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so Thank much. Yes. 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 And we saw on Instagram that you uh-huh. are now accepting patients yes. at your new practice. Can you tell yes. us a little bit about it? Absolutely. So it's been a revelation in progress. Uh, But last year, Mm -hmm. I decided to leave my old practice um, to do more advocacy work um, focused on Mm -hmm. African Americans with MS and increasing diversity in research. Um, And so as a part of that, I decided to open um, a small private practice in Noonan, Georgia. It's called Joy Life Wellness Group. Joy with an I, like my middle name. Um, and so I'm very excited to be accepting new patients here in Noonan. Um, we'll be seeing patients. I also will offer for follow-up visits, telemedicine options, which I think is very convenient for people yeah. who may have disability or live far away. Um, and then also we'll um, eventually be offering some infusion um, options for folks who take some of our infusion medication. So I'm really excited about this and I think it's going to be great. Absolutely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then where now I know everybody's all over social media. So where can people find you online and Absolutely. on social media? Absolutely. So you can follow me on Instagram. My handle is the nerdy neurologist. Um, and then on Facebook, Dr. Mitzi Joy, MD, D-R-M-I-T-Z-I-J-O-I-M-D. And of course, my practice is a joy life wellness dot com j-o-i-l-i-f-e-w-e-l-l-n-e-s-s dot com so joylifewellness.com so those are the ways you can find me and follow me um and uh thank you so much for your time today guys one thing i want to say is the nerdy neurologist when i you know first saw the hand i'm like this woman is not nerdy right the funny thing is so, so it's really an oxymoron but really, you should see the ways my eyes light up when people are like, oh, my God, those B cells. And I'm like, oh, that is so cool. You know, so, so I don't look nerdy, but on the inside, I'm right. a super nerd. Like, my husband's like, that is not interesting at all. I'm like, let's go see the bodies exhibit. He's like, I don't want to that. So I love it. Deep down, yeah. I am, I'm totally a nerd. I love it. Well- <laughs> Thank you for your impact in this community. Yeah. We, you are so needed and we Thank appreciate you. each and every part of you and your research Thank and your you. studies and your, oh, your literature, your book. Oh, Dr. Williams also has yes. books that you all have I to check do. out. Yes. Uh, MS Made Simple. Um, uh, is a book I authored uh, at the beginning of 2019. And it really is just a brief overview, a resource for people who have MS or their family members to just kind of get a top line overview in language that everybody can understand, hopefully, um, and kind of raise those questions um, so they can, you know, have conversations with their friends or have conversations with their doctor about MS. And that's on Amazon and also on my website, Dr. Mitzi Joy MD, my other website. Um, you can purchase the book there as well as on Amazon. And there's an audio book on Audible. It's perfect. perfect. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yes. Thank yes, you thank for you your so time. Much. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Thank you, ladies, so much. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Myelin and Melanin podcast. You can always find us on the web at myelinandmelanin.com, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at myelinmelanin. You can always subscribe to us on YouTube. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.